Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of L2M Associates, Linda Popke. Hi, this is Linda Popke, and welcome to our latest episode of Marketing Thought Leadership. I'm here today with Melanie Parrish, who is a public speaker, a consultant, a workshop leader, author, and a master certified coach. She's an expert in problem solving, constraints management, operations, strategic hiring, and brand development. She's consulted and coached organizations ranging from Fortune 50 companies to IT startups. Uh, she's also the, um, the author of the Experimental Leader book, which is just launching in April now, where she shows people new ways of thinking about leadership informed by her understanding of the fast-paced ride of technology innovation. So welcome, Melanie. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Ah, great to have you. So tell me, what on earth is an experimental leader? That's kind of an interesting title. Tell us what that is. Well, being an experimental leader is about creating a new mindset. It's about being data-driven and curiosity. The experimental leader strives to support experimentation in an organization and data collection so that the next experiment is based on facts, not just your gut. Ah, so we're experimenting not just to kind of see how things are, like we might experiment when we make dinner or something, but we're experimenting to get the data so that we can then work from a position of being more informed. That's right. And and right now in the world, Linda, everybody is experimenting. Uh, oh, we didn't plan it that way. <laughs> we didn't plan it that way, but oh my goodness, it's happening everywhere. And so people are having to experiment, but Becoming an experimental leader means that you're doing it just a little more intentionally. So when you try something new and everybody's trying new things, it's good to stop and reflect after a little time has passed on how that experiment worked. And and that data that you collect, the thinking that you do, allows you to think, oh, what did I learn from that? And then what's the next experiment I want to try? I think that's a great way to look at it because I see too many times when people try things and go, okay, that worked, that didn't work, and then that's it. And they even when yes. something doesn't work, you learn something that you can take back and, and actually use and be useful moving forward. Well, and if you look at a time when there's uncertainty, um, an experiment that you try today may not work today, but that same experiment might work two weeks from now. That's true. Especially in marketing. You know, there's these flows of consciousness in marketing, um, yep. where people are in one place today, but two weeks from now they may be in a different place. And so this is a time to actually repeat some experiments. Even if they don't work, they may work later. Right. Right. That's good to know. So how would we go about creating an experimental culture in, in the uh, organization? Are there just a couple of things you can share with us about ways that one could get started with this? Yes, absolutely. The The first step is for anyone who's interested in becoming more experimental in their organization, the first step is for the leader to start digging into their own experimentation. And there's some real, uh, there's some really good sort of principles to follow. One is you want your experiments to be really small. You want to, you yep. want to try to not be conducting things that aren't safe to fail. Now, right now in the world, there are things that we're experimenting with that 
are not safe to fail. Uh, That's happening all over the place. But if you're just trying to learn the skill, starting to experiment on small bite-sized pieces and then looking after 24 hours or 48 hours and collecting data and, again, asking that question, what did I learn? Collecting data. And what's my next experiment? So really cycling through multiple times, you start to see that you can change one thing. There's single variable experiments. And then after you've started to have the skill, you don't have to be a master at experimentation. You just have to sort of get the thinking. That's when you start to have that language with the people in your organization. Start to say, well, what do you want to try? And when can we look at it to see what we learned? So you really want to teach your people to start doing those 24, 48-hour experiments. You want to teach them to prototype. What can they do with no budget whatsoever and still get information about whether or not it works? You want to know something's working really well before you make a big financial investment. That's one of the other principles of being an experimental leader. Right. Absolutely. And I think I'm glad to see that there's a focus on that because, again, I think so many times um, leaders think that I, I got this, I know this, my gut feeling is this, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, and then they just go back and start over without kind of integrating the learning. So how do you um, how do you try to really codify the work of an experimental leader? What questions should you ask, and how do you know whether an experimental leader is experimenting correctly or, or kind of off the rails? The The biggest questions are, um, what's your current reality? Okay. How do you want things to be in the future? And then what are the barriers to that? And which one of those do you want to focus on now? And what's the experiment that you want to try? And then you go then you then you actually make a date with the person that you're doing this with. It can be a, an accountability partner or it can be yep. someone who you're leading. And you say, when can we go and look at the work to see what happened? And you actually go and look to see what happened in 24 to 48. Now, that might be virtual or it might be in real life, you know, might be in person, depending on what you're doing. But it's that looking to see what actually happened that's one of the big gaps in in leadership. We We fight about these things in boardrooms. We argue about them. People live and die on their ideas. And then no one ever checks to see if they work. We end up, you know, you're years down the road right. and go, wow, that just, that just didn't work. <laughs> well, you yeah. knew within 48 hours it wasn't going to work, but you never looked to see. Do you find also that there's leaders that say, well, it's probably not going to work, but I, I, I don't want to bring that to anybody's attention because I, maybe we'll get away with it and not, you know, we, we don't want to kind of highlight our failures. It seems to me an experimental leader would say it's okay to fail and learn from it and move on quickly. Failing is yes, this is not this is not succeeding or failing. We've had a culture where people live and die by their ideas. And being yep. an experimental leader is just that we are trying something. We agree to try something. We don't have to agree that it's gonna work. We don't know that until we collect data. Got it. Yep. And if it doesn't the work, idea- we don't blame anybody. Yeah. No, because we knew we needed to try something. Exactly. And And you can see how that kind of gives you, it gives you a little breath where you can, you can actually bring new ideas to the table because you aren't going to 
You don't have they don't have to be perfect. Right. We want we want imperfect thinking to start to open up dialogue in organizations so that we get more brains focusing on problems because that leads to innovation. So talk to me a little bit about innovation because we are here and it's April, and we're in the middle of this worldwide pandemic, um, which even though it may hopefully subside quickly, the economic consequences and the management challenges are going to be with us for a while. So how do you experiment in that kind of environment? How do you be innovative, and how do you survive this craziness that's going on around us? It's such a good question, and I, I think the first thing is you have to get to some kind of uh, you have to get to zero. You have to you have to get to a peaceful place as a leader. You have to be able to find your center. That's it's the very first thing. We we have to manage our own emotions, our own growth. We have to we have to take care of ourselves right now. I, and I can't talk about what comes next until I say that because leaders it's an incredibly painful time for leaders. And people are used to going to their leaders for answers, and right now there are no answers. There are no best practices. And I think starting with those assumptions, we need to care for ourselves, and there are no best practices, sets the stage for innovation. If we don't have best practices, then everything we try is probably an experiment. And if we know that, it's like the whole world is in a startup right now. That's an interesting way to look at it, yeah. Everybody's starting from scratch. Everybody's trying to figure out what it is. We may have some things that we can continue. That's great. But everybody's trying to figure out a new way out of this. And so if you know that, startups are slow. I've worked in, with so many clients in startups over the years. They don't have policies and procedures. They don't have best practices. But they're nimble. Right. And so. The fact that we're all in a startup means we're all nimble right now. We need to not constrain ourselves. We need to stay with asking the question, where am I now? Where do I want to be? What's the barrier to getting there? And then that's the, that's the spot. If you could see me right now, I'd be, I'm pointing with my finger at the table. <laughs> that's the spot where innovation happens, is in that little place where the barrier is. How can I improve? How can I get around that one barrier? There may be another barrier tomorrow. We'll work on that tomorrow. We're only working on the one thing. And as we start to do that, we start to see that we're able to impact the whole. And when we do that, we're able to start to cure ourselves of learned helplessness. We see that we can create change. We see that we can make things better. I think that's important. And you just said something that, that's absolutely critical, which says work on one thing at a time. I think what happens in a crisis is people just, just run in all directions at once. So do this, do that, do this, do this. And one of the problems is, obviously, from a scientific perspective, you don't know what works. Something worked. Was it A or B or C or D? Because we changed all of them. But more importantly, I think your employees and your team are, don't know which way you're going because you're going all directions at once. So it, it's important to focus and really – I think, and the other thing about an experiment is it sort of goes in a logical fashion. So it gives people a, 
a feeling that things are not totally out of control. We're trying something, we'll try something else. So in, in this kind of time, I think that's really important. Um, yes, it's it's so interesting, right? Just to think, it's so refreshing too to think, oh, I'm just going to work on one thing today. I don't yes. have to do everything. I'm going to try and improve one thing. That's that works. And then when you do that, then you work on the next. Absolutely. So there's a lot of different types of leadership styles, um, types of leaders, type of leadership styles. Some of them are better than others. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the ones that we want to avoid that might be a little bit more toxic and, uh, sure. and how, how to work through experimental leadership? I'm happy to do that. Um, in my book, I talk about seven different kinds of reactive leadership styles. Um, I talk about the dominant leader. I talk about the influential leader. I talk about the stickler leader. I talk about the conflict-averse leader and the naysayer leader and the manipula manipulative leader. Just to give you a taste of that, um, when I talk about the dominant leader, I always call him the dad leader. And <laughs> often, <laughs> yeah, right? Um, when, when people get promoted into leadership, they often were really good at what they did as individual contributors. And then all of a sudden, they find themselves leading people. They have no idea what to do. They're challenged. And so they look around for people in the world that they see as leaders, and they think, well, maybe I'll try that. And the dominant leader is often the one that they try on first. And that dominant leader is the all-knowing dad that has the answer to every question and who tells everyone what to do. And that's great if you're in the middle of a flood. You want someone to tell you exactly what the rules are, or a pandemic, yep. perhaps. Right. It's good to have an answer. It's reassuring to have an answer. If you're leading people and you're trying to have innovation, being the only one with the answers keeps only one brain working on the problem. And so what I say is, is you don't want to be in any of these reactive leadership styles. The thing that I actually want people to do is I want them to try to get to a blank slate. They want to be neutral. They want to be curious, and they want to ask lots of questions, because those things foster an environment where many people can come up with ideas that might take the organization forward. So when I run team meetings, which sometimes I do, I always ask the leader to talk last because mm, yep. I want all of the ideas on the table first. <laughs> and then the leader can talk at the end and sound smart because they've heard everybody else talk first. Right, exactly. But people get intimidated. Gee, she said yes. that, he said that. I have to think about what I say in light of what the leader just said. Yeah. Yes, and they're constraining the thought by being definitive right. when they speak. Oh, interesting. So in this type of environment, um, obviously, um, you know, strategic plans are out the window because the strategic plans that might have been developed were developed based on a growing economy and the world being stable and us being able to travel and leave our houses, whatever. So um, how do you... How do you empower your employees when there is no strategy at this point? It's, it's all been thrown up into the air. 
What do you do to help them as you're experimenting? Yeah, interestingly, um, the strategic plan, yeah, everybody just burned their strategic plans this week. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Those are done for the year. I kind of want to make a meme or something for my social media. Um, There you go. um, But I think that what is still really important is the long-term vision. Where do people, you know, want the world to be 20 years from now? How do what do they want to bring as their company? What's what's the thing they want to bring to the world as their company? That helps everybody find the true north. Um, and I really like strategic intents. What do we intend to happen in a six month to two year time frame? We still have those right now. We intend to be in business six months from now. If you're a restaurant, right. we intend to go back to normal. We intend to pivot during the pandemic, and then we intend to pivot back. Those sort of intents are super helpful for people as they start to experiment on the ground with what they do. One intent that uh, some businesses I've heard have right now is um, we intend to figure out any way we can to bring income in, and so we have an intent to create medical equipment. So there's a hockey company in Canada that's now producing masks for the medical profession instead of hockey masks. That's a great oh, there pivot. There you go. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a fantastic pivot. Yeah. Um, still in their core business, but they're being of service to their community, and it's a very easy pivot for them. And they're keeping their employees working. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I think that's wonderful. That's fantastic. We've been talking to Melanie Parrish. Melanie is the author of the brand new book, The Experimental Leader. So, Melanie, people wanted to find out more about you and the book, which has just come out. Where would they go? They would go to melanieparrish.com slash experiment, and it will give you all the information about the book there. Fantastic. Excellent. Um, before we go, we could talk about this for hours because there's just so much, particularly with what's going on in the world right now. But is there one thing you can tell us? And I know there's the questions to ask, but if you're a leader and you're sitting here saying, I don't even know what my strategic intent is, I don't know where to go, where do you start? What's the first thing you would recommend people through this kind of crazy time? What's the first thing they should do? Well, after you buy my book, then (laughs) – then. I want you to just find your center, calm your mind, turn off all the social media, turn off all of the things that are around you, and get really clear on what's trying, what you want to have happen in the next six months. If you can answer that question, you can start to point your people toward that, and you can point their experiments toward that. You already know they're experimenting. The next thing is that you can actually start to ask them, what are you learning from your experiment? That's great. That's fantastic. So we need to just, and I think that's a good point, is turn off the, the, the TV, the social media, all the stuff going on, and just sit and be focused and say, where do I want to be? What a great great piece of advice. So thank you, Melanie. I appreciate you being here, especially, like I said, the timing of this. 
was great to have you on, and I think this is advice that leaders all over the place um, in all kinds of organizations should be looking at. So it's wonderful it was, that you're sharing this with us. It was great to be here with you, Linda. Thanks so much for having me. It was really fun. Oh, my pleasure. This is Linda Popke. Until next time, thank you for listening to Marketing Thought Leadership. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership, brought to you by L2M Associates. If you'd like to find out how you can improve the return on your investment in marketing programs, processes, or people, contact us at www.l2massociates.com.